Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome back. I'm Dane Brugler, as always, with my buddy Lance Erline. This is the Athletic Football Show. We were known as Prospects to Pros. Now, we're going to be part of the Athletic Football Show family, bringing you a weekly NFL Draft podcast. So, uh, if you're already subscribed uh, for Robert Mays and Nate Tice and all the great lineup of shows we have for you, you're all set. Uh, if you were with us uh, on Prospects to Pros or you're a new listener, make sure you hit that subscribe uh, to the Athletic Football Show feed. You'll get us once a week, maybe more. We'll see how the the schedule uh, works out. Uh, We've got a lot of other great shows on this feed. Uh, So that's the housekeeping information we needed to go over. We have a ton of info to touch on here. Our first show of the year. First off, Lance, how you holding up? I know this is your... The, the thick of your busy time as you kind of you know really dive into the tape uh, watching all these guys. Yeah, it really is. Um, so just to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit, I have to write about 500 prospects. Last year they let me slip down to about 470, but it was also the first year that I never had to write someone after the draft was over. So that was like incredible that I, that I had everyone I wrote up um, everyone that was drafted, I had write-ups for. So typically what happens for me is I like to get 60 to 70 players done in, in uh, November and then a hundred and in December, a hundred in January. And then of course I have to, I really, I really, my, my guidelines are, I have to have every senior bowl guy finished and then every combine participant finished. So more than likely I'll have about 350 players written up by the combine with another 150 to go after that. So I'm at about to, I just crossed the 200 player threshold yesterday I'm at about uh, 201 or 202 with Yusuf Corker safety from Kentucky Kentucky um yeah made I, I he's the last one that I've written up and um I've got 
Devin Lloyd on deck today. I've still got some pretty good players that I still have to write up. So um, a lot of it will depend on when I'm getting my tape and, and how many games I have on certain players and things like that. So I've got all the tape I need. I'm ready to roll. And and um, I'm really looking forward to, to getting this podcast going again. Yeah, and see, your, your brain kind of works like mine, where it's like you, you've got checkpoints. Uh, so before January 1, you need to have X amount of profiles done. And then by the senior bowl, because I, I do the same thing, uh, you know, with my with my draft guide, uh, I, I shoot for between 400 and 500 reports in there. And in order to get it done, you have to have X amount of done at certain checkpoints throughout the draft process. So, yeah, uh, I, I think the same way. And all right. So for the, today's podcast, uh, we've got a few segments planned. We'll touch on a, a few of our early favorite players. Uh, we'll look uh, take a look at the draft order, touch on a few teams that are maybe positioned well and kind of go over some of those conversations. But let's start with just laying the groundwork, hitting on what we think are going to be the main storylines uh, the next few months. And I think first, we have to start with the fact that this is just not a very top-heavy draft. You know, we're missing that top-tier talent. Uh, if Just as, as an example, Alabama's Evan Neal. He has a, a realistic shot of being the number one pick this year uh, to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And last year... Does he go top 15 in last year's draft? I, I'm not sure that he does. And so uh, th- this is a good draft. I, I, I don't want to you know, start off by saying this is just a, a bad draft. It's a good draft. We're just missing those elite guys at the top. I, I, am I correct in saying that based off of uh, what you've seen? I think so. I mean, when you look at the draft, it reminds me a lot of uh, the, I think it was a 2019 draft with Quinnen Williams and Jeffrey Simmons, Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, I'm just looking through my whole list of of graded prospects. And it was that was a good draft, but not an overwhelming draft. I mean, Nick Bosa has become a really, really good player. Kyler, no, 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 hold on a second. That was 2000. So Quinnen was 18 draft, right? That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, because Kyler Murray was after that. So. It's um that was a draft that I remember I had Quinnen Williams as my as my top prospect. I think mm-hmm. it was in a 2018 draft. And um uh you had no, it's 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 no. 19. It's 19. Yeah, 19. yeah, Quinnen Williams was that draft. And you just couldn't find the level of ooh, wow in that draft, especially coming off of the 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 Saquon Barkley and Quentin Nelson, and they had Bradley Chubb, and you had Sam Darnold and Baker. You had a lot of splash in that 18 draft. Um, 19 was kind of a downer. 20 picked up the pace quite a bit. 21 yeah. as well with Trevor Lawrence being at the top end. You don't have it this year. I don't, I'm not sure that I'm going to have more than one player who gets a 7-0 rating. And 7-0 rating for me is like Pro Bowl talent with a chance to become all pro. I just don't see it in this year's draft, and I definitely don't see the narrative of – exciting quarterback draft because let's face it in our business that's what gets people buzzing yeah no question and I, I think here is how I would kind of summarize it in most NFL drafts I, I think in general terms there's maybe four to seven uh you know top tier guys the upper class of the of the draft class and that's followed by maybe 12 to 15 of the middle class uh, of mm-hmm. players who they might not be elite, but they, you know, they receive first round grades from teams. They're, they project as solid starters. I, I think the bad news is, is this, this class, we're just missing those upper class prospects. There's no Joe Burrow. There's no Miles Garrett. There's no Jamar Chase this year. Uh, but I do think the good news 
this draft is well positioned with the middle class first rounders. I, I think there's plenty of guys in this draft that they have NFL starting traits. Uh, there, there's guys that can come in and make impacts as rookies. They just might not be that Pro Bowl or All Pro uh, type of impact that we've seen this year from uh, Jamar Chase or Rashawn Slater. And uh, you know, it's been a really good rookie class this year. So yeah. Uh, not having those top tier players in this class, I, I think, especially in the top 10, it's going to make it even more unpredictable than usual. I mean, there are surprises every year. We know that. But this year, we should suspect them very early because draft boards from team to team, they're going to look very, very differently. And honestly, I'm here for it. You know, mock drafts be damned. Let, let, let's have, it's going to be fun. And, and my uh, second mock draft of the year, my first one came out back in November. Mock Draft 2.0 uh, comes out today, uh, Wednesday. So please go to The Athletic, check that out. I've got a new name for you at number one. Uh, a name that you don't see at number one very often. But I think if you read my reasoning, uh, you know, you'll understand why I landed there. So people, hopefully people go check that out. And something else that I wanted to mention too is we're going to hear a lot of fans saying, oh, trade back, trade back, trade back. You got to have a dance partner. I mean, who's yeah. going to want to move up in this class? And so... I, I think we're going to see either fewer tradebacks or maybe we're going to see, uh, you know, the asking price is just not going to be a, as heavy as we've seen in past years in, in order for teams to move back and teams want to move up. To your point, I look at I look at the Giants with two picks inside the top seven. Yeah. And you almost, you know, if you're the Giants, I think the smart move is if you can get out of five or get out of seven and move back somewhere in the first round and, and and really take advantage of that middle class in the first round, as you talked about, and add a future pick. I think that's probably the move. And if you're going to trade up, my guess is you may be trading up for Rush. You may be trading up for cornerback. Because uh, I think based on what I've seen and what I've graded so far, guys like Stingley, Sauce Gardner, depending on how you have Trent McDuffie um, um, rated out of, uh, out of Washington, I think that the cornerback, class is the one that could get pushed a little bit and you could mm -hmm. see the back you know the back half of that of that upper class first round that you talked about that usually is the top 12 and it's really more like top six or seven this year maybe um th that might be the position that, that people come up for maybe offensive line you know maybe tackle tackles another one that i know yeah. we've got a lot of time to get into this but tackle looks like it, it is a position it's obviously a priority position year after year, and it might have enough in it with, with three top players to push up that draft. And, and, and Kenyon Green is a different guy offensive line that I think has some life as, as a mover up the draft board as well. So it's, it's going to be an inter interesting draft, and the way that it sets up, Dane, is going to give us a lot of storylines over the next three to four months because I think it's going to be fluid. It's not going to be a static draft. There's going to be a lot of varying yeah. opinions, and there's a lot of cluster busters in terms of who do you like more, Thibodeau or um, or or Aiden Hutchinson? You know, which mm -hmm. is who's your cornerback, Sauce Gardner or um, a guy who really hasn't performed as well over the last two years in in Stingley? Who is going to be your offensive tackle? Do you want the upside of Neal? Or, I mean, do you want the, the solid Evan Neal? Or does Icky at, at North Carolina State or even Charles Cross, are they the ones that you think have more long-term viability? So um, I am still very excited about how this draft breaks out and should make for some very good shows. No, there's no there's no doubt about it. And, and, and to your point, I was going to bring up those tackles. Uh, I Talking to people around the league, some view uh, 
Evan Neal as a top tackle. Some view uh, uh, Iquanu from NC State as a top tackle. And some look at Charles Cross and say, you know what? I'm going to bet on this guy. Uh, for as young as he is and as technically sound as he is with his hands mm. and yeah. how he moves, I, you know, I'm going to bet on Charles Cross. So uh, there is no consensus, I don't think, at maybe any of these positions. Uh, maybe besides center, uh, where Tyler Linderbaum uh, it kind of is controlling that position. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting year. And to your point, you brought up that 2019 draft. Mike Mayock, who, you know, we just saw, unfortunately, uh, you know, he, he got fired as GM of the Raiders. That draft, they had the number four pick. Cleveland Farrell, uh, they weren't trying to get out of that pick. You know, Mike Mayock wanted to move back 10 spots to take Cleveland Farrell, couldn't get a deal done, so he stuck at four, stayed true to, to the guy he wanted, took Farrell, and, you know, his GM career his resume is going to be you know that's going to be a big part of it because he couldn't get out of that pick and that's what we might see this year with teams that maybe want to trade down but just aren't going to be able to because the the action is not going to be there so uh yeah just, I, I think it's uh, as we set up how this draft class is looking uh, starting at the top it's some really interesting conversations that we'll have plenty of time to get into and then the second main storyline that we have to touch on of course and you mentioned it a little bit uh earlier is the quarterbacks you know yeah. last year we had what five quarterbacks pre-draft where I think you felt pretty good that all five were going to be NFL starters and at least give you a chance to win uh if, if not right away with you know at some point during their rookie contract and this year I, I just don't know how you have any conviction in any of these quarterbacks that hey yo this guy he's going to be a a top 15 quarterback in the league or you know, this is going to be a guy that helps us compete for the division. I, am I being too harsh on this quarterback class? Or are you seeing the same things? Seeing the same thing. Hey, hey. hey, football fans. This is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. Um, I do think there's some upside to the quarterback class. I, I don't think it's a, a dead class by any stretch of the imagination, but I think there are some considerable flaws and concerns with pretty much each of these guys in the group. And when you look at it as a whole, you didn't have, there was no additional momentum built for Desmond Ritter. If anything, his momentum kind of trailed off uh, after the college football playoff game. I don't really think it was through any fault of his own, but he doesn't really have a lot of momentum right now. Uh, Malik Willis, his momentum really cratered toward, toward the back end of the year. He just didn't play all that well in the second half of the season. Um, Matt Corral. I think Matt Corral didn't do anything to hurt his draft stock. I think, it's, I think he's still a talented quarterback. Doesn't have great size. Just got injured in the, in the game. And then has a background where you question maybe some maturity concerns. And then Kenny Pickett's that come out of nowhere prospect. Listen, we've seen it with Kyler Murray. We've seen it with Joe Burrow, but when I watched Kenny Pickett's tape, there was not the same level of flashes that I was going that I wanted to get excited about. And I do have serious reservations about whether or not he can play with poise from the pocket. You mentioned a word that I used in my in my um, when you and I talked that I mentioned in my scouting report because it's just very apropos. There's some scarring based on previous pocket pressure that Pickett has faced. And it shows itself with the way that his internal clock causes nervousness and the way his feet will 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 fail to maintain their poise and point to targets and 
and you know, and, and hang in like he needs to. He's not a great pocket climber. He tries to avoid the pocket up and over the top of tackles, which is a notoriously bad decision for quarterbacks who who like to scramble. So, um, I, I'm with you on the quarterback class. I think I think there's going to be a lot of drama about who goes where and why, but I don't think that it's going to include a push up the board for these these prospects. Almost every year we see it, but I don't think this is going to be the year where we see more than one guy who makes it inside the top seven. I just I don't know if there's anyone that can help themselves enough during the draft process uh, to make that a reality. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and it's going to be interesting with uh, six of probably the top seven quarterbacks that will be drafted. Uh, six of them will be at the Senior Bowl. Uh, including several underclassmen, Sam Howell will be in there, uh, Carson Strong. Obviously, uh, the medicals with his knee is a big part, a big variable with his projection. Um, for you, Lance, is there a clear favorite? As we get into this process, before the All-Star Games, before the Combine, before workouts, before interviews, is there a clear favorite among these quarterbacks to be the first drafted? I think Pickett is the favorite for me. Um, I could see where you could make a case for Corral. I can't see a case for Willis. I can't really see a case for Ritter, who's also kind of a one-year guy. Um, who am I missing? Who's the other one? Ritter, uh, it's always mentioned. I definitely don't see Sam Howell. So, no, I, I mean, to me, I see Sam as more of a third or fourth rounder personally. So, I don't see Sam Howell even in the first. So, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I think that based on what I studied now – you know, we take our studies of tape and then you do projections and then you add physical traits and characteristics. I think the um, Carson Strong's the other one I was thinking of. The medicals are going to prevent that from happening. The best right. arm in the draft, it's it's probably Carson Strong with the close second with Malik Willis. When you consider accuracy, placement, and pure velocity, those two guys are special. I like um, – Pickett a lot. I think Pickett has plenty of arm. I think Matt Corral, his release oh, yeah. really improves uh, his his arm talent. As well, he has good arm talent. I think the release improves his arm strength. But when I take a look at, okay, show me productivity, Pickett this year. Show mm -hmm. me physical traits, Pickett. Show me a guy who worked with some full field concepts, that's Pickett. I have enough to rally around Kenny Pickett and convince myself that he would be ahead of a guy like Corral or certainly strong because of injury issues, um, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter. I got to tell you, I was actually pleasantly surprised with Desmond Ritter's tape. Um, mm -hmm. I think you had talked about it early. I saw you make a comment. I hadn't watched him. I don't want to watch really too much carefully because I want to have all my tapes so I don't develop a bias for or against a player, and I want to unload everything on the same day when possible. And uh, – you know, his poise really sets him apart. He understands that offense, but he's a poised performer. Uh, there's a lot of things to really like about him. I like the football IQ. I like a, a lot of the mental makeup for Desmond Ritter. There's some things to really like about him. Um, I don't love the arm strength, and I think he doesn't work with enough timing, and that's going to get him in some tr – and, and really the placement is a big concern for me. I was really surprised that the placement was so shoddy on some throws that you would think it, it wouldn't be an issue, and yet it does show up. It's Yeah, it's sporadic. I mean, you could throw on uh, some highlights where, you know, in the second half of that Notre Dame game, he's making some uh, Terrific be throws. beautiful throws that you're like, yeah. okay, yeah, that, that translates. But then you watch the full scope of his tape, and you just, you're, you're, you're left wondering, okay, why is it so up and down? And 
Uh, his release is a little bit long. Uh, he, he's he's really skinny, and so you you know work, can he put on a little bit more, a little more weight, uh, kind of fill out a little bit more. But you know it, there's there's talent there, no question. And I agree with everything that you said. Uh, and, and similar with Pickett as well. I, and I think that what Joe Burrow is doing in the playoffs is only helping Kenny Pickett. Now whether or not they should be compared is another question. Right. But. But you know they don't they don't live in the same house, but they might live on the same street, just you know maybe a mile <laughs> a mile mile down the road. Right. Um, but you know because you know they they don't have those elite physical traits uh, in terms of arm and you know good enough athlete, mobile. They can move around a little bit. Um, you know with Pickett, he the way he came on this year, and I I think your your use of the word scarring is perfect because you could tell he's been beat up in the past. Uh, with the way that, uh, you know, the, the Georgia Tech tape really kind of stands out in that respect where, uh, you know, he's, he's you could tell he's counting in his head, 1-1,000, 2-1,000, and then he like looks around and he's like waiting to get hit, but it's not coming and the offensive line's doing their job and he's like, oh shoot, okay, I, I got more time here and then he finds someone that is open. Um, I, what I love about Pickett was he could be accurate at all three levels, um, you know, it, it the way he can improvise as well, uh, move the pocket, I, I think that's something that works in his favor. So this is just, it, it's not a quarterback class to get excited about, but it's still an, a quarterback class that's going to be a lot of fun because there's going to be a, so many different opinions, so many different, you know, from team to team, they're going to look at these guys differently. Scheme-wise, what's, what's going to fit best for them? Uh, you know, for teams, uh, you know, Washington's going to be looking at maybe a, a guy that's going to come in and help them right away where, uh, you know, another team might be looking at more down the road, a team like, you know, Atlanta in the second round. You know, Matt Ryan's a starter now, but maybe they could find their guy uh, who's going to be the starter in two years uh, in this draft. So it, it's just a really interesting quarterback class, and uh, we'll be diving more into that uh, in the coming weeks, especially after the Senior Bowl when I think that that could be an opportunity for one of these guys to maybe move ahead. And, uh, you know, okay, last thing on the quarterbacks before we move on. Over, under three quarterbacks in the first round. What do you think? Not not your grades, but when, when no, no, you know. No, no, right, right. I think Deshaun May, Watson May will, will eventually move, so that will take okay. one of the positions away. Uh, Big Ben is gone. I think Wentz all of a sudden could catch competition sooner than we thought. I yeah. still think when it's all said and done, three would be the number. I don't think it'll okay. be over. I think it, I think it lands on three. I think the Saints are a team to to, to keep an eye on. I believe they have a first round pick this year. Yes. So do. when I look at the Saints, I look at Matt Corral and I go, "Whoo, he sure does fit what they like to do offensively, passing wise." Then I look at a guy like uh, Week Willis. Spoiler yeah, for my my mock draft uh, coming out today. That that's that's exactly the marriage. Uh, Matt Corral. That's why we do a podcast together. That's it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because I think he needs to be in a very particular type of offense. But then flip side of that, I think Malik Willis is in a bad offense for him. I think Malik Willis could really benefit from a uh, a more pro style attack, maybe some boot action stuff where it simplifies the reads and lets him work faster and quicker. I don't think you need to have I, – I, see, I don't believe in the four and five wide concept necessarily being good for young quarterbacks. Mm. I don't think it helps them. I think it can simplify things if that's the way the offense is built out in college, but it doesn't necessarily pre prepare you for the pros, and it's harder to run in pro football as well. So um, I'm not always a big believer in a spread attack. I know it's kind of become what people are used to. Everybody's working out of the gun, but I think there's definitely something to be said for Kyle Shanahan's attack. I think there's something to be said for um, what what the – 
the Minnesota Vikings do with Kirk Cousins. I mean, you look at Kirk Cousins, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions this year. If I just told you quarterback A was 33 and seven, you wouldn't guess Cousins. But -hmm. Cousins' productivity is always good because – they rely on the run. They work off play action. The Rams do a lot of that as well. We saw them very successful against the Cardinals. Run first, play action second. Um, I think there is something to be said for creating a levels passing attack and yep. letting a guy like Malik Willis throw into space as opposed to trying to be pinpoint with the accuracy. Limiting the reads a little bit, simplifying it, making it a more um, – allowing him to play faster. I think yeah. that's a, a good thing for most quarterbacks, to be honest with you. I'm a big believer in the outside zone scheme with play action off of it. But then for other guys like, like um, you know, for example, for other guys like uh, Matt Corral, I think the quick hit, you know, possession pass and attack, RPO, so I think it's a perfect fit for him. So not every quarterback is, is destined to play in the same scheme. I think that goes without saying. But I think Malik Willis is a guy, as we – as we roll down the path towards the draft, there needs to be a little bit more expanded conversation about schematics for quarterbacks because it really does matter. No question. Yeah. Let Malik Willis read high to low, let him get out in space. And yeah, I agree with you there. And same thing with Corral. And you watch that old Miss offense, the way it operates under Lane Kiffin. It's a lot of defined, uh, you know, passing reads with, with what he's asked to do. And he, the, the ball jumps off his his arm. Uh, everything he does is quick. You know whether it's his eyes, his movements, uh, the way the, the ball is up and gone. So with Corral, yeah, I, I agree. I think that that is definitely a a marriage that would could work with Sean Payton. Uh, and obviously the Saints, they need to figure out something at quarterback uh, going into this offseason. So uh, there are several teams uh, with with Washington. Uh, you mentioned the Steelers. Uh, I mean, are they really comfortable with Mason Rudolph as their guy next year? I don't know how you could be, but we're gonna probably gonna have a new general manager uh, in in Pittsburgh as well. So some a new front office, and you know, it, we, there's a lot of unknowns right now uh, as we start this process. Um, What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend, show up for yourself. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is, doing what you need to do, carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash maze. Next segment I, I want to pivot to here, and I'm excited for this because, Lance, you and I, we're usually texting back uh, back and forth, bouncing opinions off each other. Uh, I've purposely tried to scale back some of our texts this year because I want to be blind with how you feel about some of these guys. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's going to make for some more fun podcasting. Um, so for this next segment, I, 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 we're going to go back and forth, and I want to hear a few of your favorite players this year. Not necessarily... 
uh, you know, the best players you've seen, but maybe a few guys where maybe you had low expectations going in for whatever reason, uh, and, and you were surprised with what you saw. Or maybe, you know, a guy where you just, you didn't need to watch another tape, but you wanted to watch another tape because you just wanted to, you, That's you a great way to watching him play. Uh, and so yeah. is there, I'll, I'll give you mine too, but I'll let you go first here. Who, who are some of those guys that kind of fit that description? All right, let me start with my first one. That would be Jermaine Johnson, Florida State mm-hmm. defensive end, transfer from Georgia, will be the highest player ever drafted from that appeared on the Netflix documentary Last Chance <laughs> U. Um, he was there with Jason Brown in Independence and survived um, <laughs> there at last year at Independence. I'm going to tell you, I didn't have a lot of I, – I didn't have expectations. I just turned the tape on. And what I saw, I went back and watched Georgia tape first because I wanted to see what he looked like before. So I went back and watched some 20 tape. Then I watched 21. Then I had to reach out to a strength coach, and here's why. He looked stronger. He looked more physical at the point of attack. Personal physical growth is something that I'm still coming to grips with um, from a projection standpoint and a scouting standpoint because who they are when they're 21, 22, even 23 is not necessarily who they're going to be. Some guys get maxed out. Like Leonard Floyd is not a lot bigger now. I mean, he's he's bigger, but he's still not going to be a big guy. But then you see – uh, then you see other players on the field, uh, like Samson Ebukan comes to mind. Uh, I saw him the other day. But, I mean, you see other offensive linemen. You see linebackers. You see um, uh, defensive ends who just get bigger and stronger depending on the weight program, the nutrition, and the time they put into it. And when I watched Jermaine Johnson, I saw a guy who was, first of all, stronger at Florida State, Um I think he just put the time in and just physically started to grow into his body. That happens naturally at that age anyway. Very good at the point of attack. Good with his hands. I saw an unbelievably um, wiggle-based pursuit guy who when he's after you, he can stay. I, I, it's the heat-seeking missile thing where he doesn't have to move linear. It's a, not a linear movement. It's a completely fluid movement to follow and flow with the course of the ball. I think he's going to make a lot of plays as a run defender, and I saw upside as a pass defender. So he was one of the guys where I wanted to keep watching because I'd see flash and flash and flash, and the my projection, I kicked him up into my 64s, which is a first-round grade, uh, because I really project him. What I saw on tape is highly projectable. Traits, attitude, demeanor, toughness, um, two-way potential. I just saw a guy that I was really excited about. So Jermaine Johnson, right off the bat, fits the bill for me in that category you're talking about. Yeah, uh, I 100% agree. I mean, this is a first-round player. Um, and I, I he had so many sacks this year, but I think I was more impressed. Uh, and w- you, you mentioned this, how he showed up in the run game because of his ability at the point of attack, because of his instincts. Uh, you know, there was a play yeah. uh, on that Miami tape that, that comes to mind where, you know, it, he made a big tackle for loss because he saw the play coming and was able to shed and make, take the right angle, close, and make the play in the backfield. So uh, he has a lot of what you're looking for, a lot of ingredients. And, you know, we talk about uh, coming from Georgia, you know, being, you know, why'd you transfer for your final year? Could you not cut it on that defense? And, I, I mean, it was all about opportunity for him. His, his snaps, his uh, defensive snaps, went from something like 27 to over 60 uh, at Florida State. And that, that Georgia defense is just... It's a lot of, uh, you know, they have so many guys on that side of the ball. They can, uh, you know, swap guys in and out constantly to keep guys fresh and 
uh, you know, keep guys playing at top level. And, they, you know, they don't have to have guys playing 60 snaps a game. Where at Florida State, Jermaine Johnson was the alpha on that defense, especially at defensive line. And he showed up in a big way. So I, I agree with you there. Uh, for my first guy here, I want to talk about Trevon Walker uh, at Georgia. I, I'm going to try not to gush too much here. And maybe this is hyperbolic, but... Five years from now, we look back at this draft. I would not be surprised at all if Trevon Walker is the best defensive player in the NFL from this draft class. I think he has that type of ability. When you have, when you look at the traits, you look at how far he still has to go in terms of getting better and better and better. Uh, for a guy that's built like he is, uh, his athleticism, and they, they would, Georgia would drop him in space. And he's moving like a linebacker at 275, 280 pounds. His speed to chase and make plays, uh, he's still learning how to, uh, you know, use his hands and, and break down uh, blocks on the edge as an edge uh, as an edge rusher, but very strong in the run game. He can outflank blocks to contain plays. He's long. He's powerful. He has the fluidity. He has the athleticism. Uh, so I just, all the tools are there. All the traits are there for Trevon Walker to come in. He could play inside, could play outside. I think his 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 ceiling as an NFL player is so high that I I would be surprised if he falls out of the top fifteen picks. This is what's great about this podcast. I've got him like sixtieth. Okay. Don't like him that much at all. Think he's stiff. Don't see pass rush potential. Love the run stuff stuff uh, stuffing. I think for a guy who doesn't bend much, he's got weird leverage ability because he uses his yeah. hands at leverage positions. He fires out of his stance with his hips. I think he is an A-plus run stuffer, and I just don't see him as a two-way player. I think he's a classic 3-4-5 um, technique for a team like the Steelers because he's got the build. I think he has the frame to be 290 pounds and carry it exceptionally well. He's got length. He always outreaches the blockers. Let me tell you the stuff I love about him. He always outreaches the blockers. He's into you first. He yep. keeps people off of him, keeps them clean. He's got the ability to punch and steer a tackle into positions that he doesn't love. Um, he fires and explodes from his lower body from hips to hands is where the power really is generated. Um, I think he can close down the line very quickly in a, in a straight line. I think he's more linear than fluid personally. What I didn't see was I didn't see a bendy rush. I didn't mm -hmm. see him able to get to counters. Um, I didn't see – the 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 fluidity in space that I like to see from a rusher. Now, let me also – I need to point this out too. See, I have a natural predisposition and bias, I think, against stiffer power players. And this is something I already know. It's something that Romeo Aquora – I would have told you that guy's barely draftable. And look where he is right now um, from, from Notre Dame. I mean, he's kind of a stiff player. Michael Clemens from, from, from uh, a Texas A&M kind mm -hmm. of a waste bender. Like he's, that's not what I like. But then again, I called a couple of teams because I said, let me just check and see if the old power guy who I don't see coming is going to end up getting drafted higher than I thought. And sure enough, a team I talked to said no chance he falls out of the second round because he's too strong. He's too tough. And you know, the thing about the NFL. And so when I give you my opinion on Trevon Walker, I'm not telling you I'm right. I'm just oh, yeah. telling you that there's a greater chance that it plays into my biases of what I want in a rusher we all develop if we were general managers there's all types that we would you know we would all develop our type you and i are trying to do this for 32 teams and and and, and we do it for readership 
as we project for 32 teams. But the reality is if Dane Brugler is picking a pass rusher, you want a certain kind of guy. If you're looking for an offensive lineman, you're looking for a certain kind of tackle, maybe a certain kind of guard, a certain schematic fit, a certain type of quarterback, wide receiver, a slot, linebackers. That's great. With the Pittsburgh, Chris Ballard and the Colts are going to draft linebackers with 34-inch arms who are 228 pounds who run in the four fives. Bill Belichick's going to pick 260 pounds. Like, why don't they just yeah. right now give Leo Chennault to the Patriots? I don't even know why we have to have a draft. Just give 261-pound right. inside linebacker who who is like a cinder block with arms and legs, just give him to the Patriots to go with Juwan Bentley and every other linebacker you've had forever. So certain teams have certain types. And so Trevon Walker is just not my particular type. But what I have recognized over the years of doing this is that Guys like Trevon Walker who are really strong, they have a tendency to, to figure out the rush and become more skilled and get better with their hands from a rush standpoint. So I'm certainly not writing him off. And I can see elements of why you like him. I just wanted to project more of the rush uh, on an individual basis and not when you're surrounded by a bunch of draft picks. Sure. And I think it's also fair to point out that Georgia just didn't really let him – pin his ears back and go, you know, like they, they didn't too. really, yeah. they, they didn't give him that opportunity where he was asked, you know, they would later line him up inside, line him up with nose tackle, line him up, just they'd ask him to contain on the edge. So, you know, he, he's a little tough to project in that respect because uh, you you want to see a little bit more out of him uh, with what you're going to be asked to be doing. And if he's going to be drafted as high as I think he'll be drafted, there's a little bit of a projection there. So uh, that's fascinating. And see, that this is exactly what, you know, why I didn't want to, have these conversations before the podcast because that, that that's great. Uh, we, we agree on uh, Jermaine Johnson, disagree a little bit on Trevon Walker. Uh, I'm eager to hear where you're going next. Uh, All right, what, what's you know what? Guy? I, I'm gonna put. I'm bringing this guy up intentionally because I want to. Okay. I want to play into my my philosophy of rush. Who I like rush wise. Here's an example. Like, I was very high on um, Jason Owe, Adafi Owe right. last year because I projected the traits and the explosiveness, and I worry about coaching. I think that they'll coach that kind of stuff up. Here's another guy, and this will give you an idea of why I'm less excited about a Trevon Walker type than I Ojabo? am about Dominique Ro No, oh. although he's, he's in there too. Dominique yeah. Robinson, yeah, edge yeah. defender from Miami, Miami. Ohio, two-year wide receiver. Um he is, I'll read my scouting report, my bottom line, wide out turn uh, quarterback hunter with the bricks and mortar needed to build an impactful career as a 3-4 outside rusher or 4-3 rush in. Robinson looks much different in his uniform than the rest of the teammates and frequently flashes despite his relative inexperience at the position. He's quick off the snap using plus fluidity, athleticism, and bend to trim the edge and assail the pocket, but needs addition. You see how he used assail the pocket? and uh, needs additional moves and counters before he's ready to beat pro tackles. He needs to get stronger, more technically sound in run support, but has the capability of playing with his hand in the ground. However, aligning as a stand-up rush linebacker might help expand his range as a playmaker in space. Robinson profiles as an unpolished gym with a high ceiling and a stable floor. So there's a guy that, to me, that I project based on traits that I kind of like out of a rusher. I comped him to Whitney Merciless, okay. who I saw here with the Texans for years, who came out of Illinois and was a little bit raw when he actually came out of, you know, it was a little bit unpolished when he came out of Illinois and developed a lot of polished, especially under Mike Vrabel. But um, that's an example of the type of rusher, Dane, that that I like is projectable long limb guys with juice and bend. Um, that just, I'm just 
showing you my bias. No, and, and I think that's I, and I'm with you on with Dominic Robinson. I, I not I, a first rounder, by the way. No, I no, I don't I mean, have him as a first rounder, but the day two guy, I have him. There. Yeah, I, I gave him a third round grade myself, so I'm, I'm with you on him. And he, fascinating backstory: a, a quarterback in high school goes to Miami, Ohio, and becomes a wide receiver. Transitions to pass rusher in 2020, so he's going into this draft with zero starts at edge rusher, uh, six and a half sacks to his name. So it just doesn't have you know what a lot of uh, box score scouts are going to love in terms of the the productivity, but to you know what with uh, what you were saying about the traits, it, it's all there for him to put it together. Uh, he's twitched up. He's got that get off burst. Body control so he can bend, dip, maneuver around blockers. I mean, I, I agree with everything that you said. It's uh, He needs to get a little bit better versus the run, uh, You know, get, develop some of the countermeasures. But the pass rush potential is exciting because of the athletic traits. So, uh, And I, I also like that he, he, he has special team experience. He played on every single coverage uh, over his college career. So uh, he, he can give you a little bit of, the, of that as well before he's ready to step in and, and be a starter. He's probably talking about a sub-package rusher as a rookie, and then you know, we'll see where that goes from there. But uh, I, I'm with you. He, he is a he's a good player. Who's up? Who's up next for you? Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, another potential first rounder, a guy down by your way, uh, Logan Hall out of Houston. Uh, and this is another bit of a projection because I actually like him better on the edge uh, as opposed to inside of the defensive tackle, which is where yeah, that wasn't a fit for him. I didn't think right too, he, too upright six six. Uh, 270, 275. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, he, I, I get him on the edge, give him a little bit of a runway and let him use that length to his advantage. Let him use that quickness because he's a good athlete. Uh, and, and you know, he showed up at Houston, uh, it wasn't very much. I mean, he's like 225 pounds, 230 pounds. He's put on a lot of weight. He's really developed. Uh, he didn't redshirt at Houston, so he's a, a four-year senior. So still a guy that I think has developing to do. Uh, still only 21 years old. Hasn't turned 22 yet. Um, and, and I think this is a guy, long, twitchy athlete. Uh, I love the way when he starts low, strikes upward. Uh, he can he can come at you from different angles. So I, there are some tweener traits here, but I, I give him additional coaching. He could be a matchup weapon, I think, on the edge. That athletic versatility, the body length. He can be disruptive. So I, I see a guy with uh, with Logan Hall who could be a first-round pick. You know, I, I compare him naturally. It's going to make sense to compare him to Peyton Turner. I think Peyton Turner is, is – I like Turner more than Logan Hall. But what I saw with Logan Hall was – and what I struggled to figure out was how do I project him because the flashes are there. Like he's mm-hmm. a projectable player. So in my mind, I had to say, okay, well, where does he play? Like how do you play him? And I agree, can he play base end? Can he rush as a base end? Because I think his best rush, I'm not sure it is in, in, inside because he does play a little bit upright. I think he will get kind of jostled around being a tall player who tries to make counter moves inside. But then then again, that brings up scheme. So if you have a place that really schemes, um, you know, blitz looks and, and, and brings blitz so that you can create individual matchups, guard on, you know, three technique and you don't get any help from the center where you slide the other way. Then all of a sudden you've got a guy like a long limbed Logan Hall who might have a huge uh, length advantage on a guard. So that's, that's also important is where they get schemed into. Um, yeah. I think he's really intriguing to me. He's a guy that I really, I'm excited about the postseason process. I can anticipate him being a, 
a mover for me upwards based on the postseason. There are guys that I know that I'm kind of waiting to see. I'm a little – I put a higher grade on them than I felt in my heart they deserved, but I usually like to go down a little bit as opposed to up. But Logan Hall's one I've got circled because I, I, I struggled. I gave him a 62, which is like an average starter, uh, and typically you'll find those guys in the, in the second round. A lot of times, depending on what level, uh, can be early, usually top 60 picks. But he's a guy that I could see because of his traits moving up my draft board, depending on how he does in the postseason. I'm going to give you my last one. Okay. And that's and there's there's so many that I could oh, yeah. that I could shout out. But I want to shout out a running back that I loved and I couldn't get enough of him is Damian Pierce mm-hmm. out of Florida. Why, you know, if you give this guy 89 carries in a year, go ahead and fire the staff. I, I What in the world are you giving this guy 89 carries for? He had the most rushing yards against Georgia of any running back all year, including Brian Robinson. He had nine carries for 69 yards. You know how I know? Because I'm like, dude, he's getting everything on his own here. Like, he's earning every yard he gets against Georgia. And he got 69 yards in nine carries. He averaged more than seven yards a carry. When you go watch it, he's physical. He's a roughneck the way he runs. He is just as tenacious tenacious as you could possibly hope for. He, he's he got a little bit of a weird tempo to him, the way he runs, but he is an absolutely um, attack-oriented runner who is going to stack yards after contact because he's so powerful in his lower half. He's like 5'9", 218, I think is what I had on him before the season started, verified measurements. And for me, Damian Pierce to only to get less than 100 carries this year was absolutely criminal. That's a guy that I really enjoyed watching, and I wanted to watch even more tape on him because he lost his helmet. I went, What was the game, yeah. Dane? I know you know the game where he lost his helmet and dove headfirst yeah, into was, guys looking to tackle him. It was like – Was that Florida State? I don't, it was late in the year. I remember that. Yeah. It was Florida State. Yeah, yeah, it was rivalry game. So it was Florida State. I mean, he's a lunatic in a good yeah. way. Oh, he's, so just I, wi- I he's really, wired the right way. He's wired exactly the way you like him. So I was a big. I had a lot of fun watching Damian Pierce. I mean, I had a lot of fun watching JoJo Doman just because yeah. he's that same kind of salty player who you know. I gave JoJo a sixty-one, which is, and I might be a little low on JoJo, which is more like a, a third, fourth. He doesn't really profile as a as a as a top one hundred pick from a physical standpoint, and yet. You know, he's out there making a bunch of plays, covering yeah. slots, knocking guys, you know, bleeps in the dirt. I mean, he's he was fun to watch. Leo Chanel, another one, fun to yeah. watch. Doesn't really know where he's going half well, yeah, the time. What, what do you do with him, uh, you know, in passing situations? That's the only question with him. It, Take it, him can, out. Well, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Can he do enough where you can line him up as an outside rusher? Can he drop and do enough in coverage? But as a run defender, I mean, is he the best run defending linebacker in this class? I mean, his so he con- might be the... His contact balance is so good. It's ridiculous. He might, and and it's the freaky thing is when you think he's out of a play, his recovery, he's like a weeble wobble. (laughs) You can't get him all the way down. He bounces back up. Try to redirect him when he a gap blitzes you. I don't care. You could push him almost to the ground and somehow he's on top of your quarterback. Like he might be the strongest pound for pound player in this draft. And that's not a joke. And there's rumors that he could touch 40 in the bench press this year. So I'm interested to see um, how he develops as a player. Cause I think he still has development, but so enjoying watching doesn't necessarily mean you have the highest grades on him. Right. But those are the guys I enjoyed. Who's your last one. Uh, I'm going to stick with running back. I'm going to go Tyler Algier from BYU. 
who loved the backstory uh, again with this guy, former walk-on. Nobody wanted him out of high school, and he was productive in high school. Uh, just went overlooked. Uh, had one scholarship offer that was from Division II, uh, Southern Nazarene. Uh, so he go he walks on at BYU. He's working at Walmart's freshman year just to pay the bills, uh, and he's not part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. So he, his tuition was a lot more than than the normal student that goes to BYU. So uh, you know he all he does is goes to to BYU, puts his head down, and works. Moving to linebacker as a redshirt freshman. All right, fine. I'll play half the season at linebacker. They moved back to running back in 2020. The last two years, he has been just outstanding uh, for BYU. He's averaged over six yards a carry. Uh, I get a lot of James Conner vibes with him. Just that that big body. He's got a solid build. Not a burst type of athlete, but he, he's a good athlete. Uh, but I think what really sets him apart, very decisive with his runs, minimal wasted motion, uh, you know, his eyes and feet are tied together. He's very good at reading his blocks, making timely cuts. So I think he can help you out in passing situations. He can stay home and block. He can be a screen receiver. Um, it just reminds me a lot of Connor in that way where, you know, I, he's probably going to end up as a top five running back for me. Uh, probably some, probably maybe in the top 100, third, fourth round in that range. Uh, just a lot to like about Tyler Algier and what he brings to the pro game. Yeah, real hustle and flow runner. Um has terrific he has terrific processing fluidity yeah. like the one thing that i love watching zone scheme runners over the years and he's make no doubt this is a zone scheme back but watching arian foster the things that struck that struck me were tempo and his seamless ability to process and get to the next get to the next move and i think he has some of those same traits. When you watch him run, he gets to the next move. He sees the backside cutback uh, development. I, I do, I do, I am a little bit concerned about burst. You mentioned it. Yep. That's one thing that concerns me a little bit because you know you can, but but the but he's a decisive back, so that helps in that regard. So, yeah, he is a he was a fun watch as well. I had a I had a personal guy say, "Who do you like better in the running back turn linebacker turn running back conversation? Him or Abram Smith?" And it mm. got me thinking because they're both bigger zone scheme backs who, but their running styles are very different to me. So, uh, you know, one is more of a bruiser who's a little more upright and the other guy is more traditional in the way that you like for it to, uh, to look and, and flow. But Abram Smith from Baylor is going to be stick the foot in the ground, go as hard as you can downhill and whoever gets in your way, you collide with them and onto the next. And if they don't collide with you, then you can turn it into a big run. So yeah. very different types of zone scheme backs, but um, interesting backstories being a little similar in terms of yeah, how they former play. linebackers. Yeah, yep. uh, no question. Um, and real quick before we pivot, give me one position that, you know, kind of the same conversation where, you just you really like the 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 guys at at a certain position, uh, top one hundred or the entire class, top ten, whatever. Uh, well, what's one position that's really stood out to you as maybe being a little bit stronger than others? Mm. I still have some work to go on DBs. I typically wait on them. I think that this year's edge rush. I think there's yeah. some really traits based edge rushers this and it's year. Deep too. Is it? Is it Boy Mafe? How's it pronounced? Yeah, from yeah. Uh, Boy Mafe. Uh, from from Minnesota's got yep. a ton of traits. Dominique Robinson, uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, David uh, Ojabo. Yeah, Ojabo from from Michigan, Michigan yep. is another one. Like, there's similar types of rushers that I 
that I, I tend to really um, gravitate towards the length guys who have the explosiveness. My thing is a little bit more of a power guy than Ojabo, than Ojabo is going to be, but Ojabo is ridiculous. I've never seen a player like him so raw yeah. in so many ways and yet so advanced as a pass rusher. And yeah. we had him in studio. He emailed, I'd emailed just to get permission to use something. And uh, or he emailed me permission. I talked to his agent and he said, hey, I noticed you're in Houston. Well, that same morning I said, yeah, I'm here on the radio right now. He came into the studio that morning and I asked him, I said, how did you how did you pick up these rush moves? It doesn't make sense that you don't know how to set an edge properly right now and take on blocks. And yet you're, you're throwing these moves out there that guys who are four year starters can't even think about. And he said what he did was he watched um, Frank Clark tapes, but more importantly, Josh Uche, who was at Michigan, he said Josh, when he wasn't playing, would go off in the corner and work on his hands and work on moves, almost like a shadow boxer, and would work on moves. And David said he would just watch and mimic, watch, absorb, and mimic what he did. Then he did the same thing um, with, uh, not Uche, but... Uh, Quidipe. Quidipe. Yeah. That was the other one. He said he got a stutter step move where he stutters and goes on yep. a two-way go. He got that from Quiddy Pay. He got some of the hand stuff and spin move stuff from Josh Uche. And then Frank Clark kind of sealed the deal with, rounded out the Michigan rushers that he studied. But really, he is a he is an art, he's an artist of mimicry who can mimic and put it into play. And so he is that raw. Everything you see on tape, he's really that raw. But then when you see an inside jab followed by an outside spin, that's not raw real life like you can't no. do that yeah, with that with, level of with experience yeah with the ice pick at, at the end there i mean yeah he's uh, it, it is weird because exactly like you said he, he mixes in this oh wow he knows how to do that but then you know there's plenty he just doesn't know yet i mean it, it's yeah. just he's he's so he's uh, five years he's been playing the, the the game of football and it's it, it makes for a tough projection because uh you know working on this mock draft i reached out to several league guys and just kind of you know, do, do you see this guy between picks, you know, seven and fifteen, or what? And, and with Ojabo, there's a lot of late, late first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's because he is so raw, because uh, you kind of have to hide him as a run defender right now. But when you have the ability that he has, and especially in this class, I just have a hard time seeing him falling out of the top fifteen because the pass it just takes rush, one. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 the pass rush upside is so special uh, for a guy that. Still doesn't know what he's doing, but had 11 sacks in the Big Ten. He he was second in the Big Ten in, in sacks this year, second only to his teammate, Aiden Hutchinson. So uh, for a guy, I mean, and we talked about Owe last year, who, similar conversation, uh, you know, freaky talent, still figuring things out, but there was that, you know, the elephant in the room was the zero sacks. This guy, you know, it's same type of conversation, except he had 11 sacks last year. The pressures were uh, all over his tape. So, yeah, Ojabo is a fascinating conversation that we will get into more and more. Uh, okay, before we wrap up, one last segment I want to hit on. Uh, we have the draft order, at least, uh, you know, the first, what, 24 picks or so in the first round. Uh, I, I want to kind of look at these teams a little bit and maybe, you know, give me give me one team that stands out to you as, uh, you know, the most interesting team to you, either because they have to hit or they have multiple picks or they're in a position where they're one one maybe one play, player away from really taking that next step. What's one team in those top 24 picks, uh, the, the draft order that we know so far that really stands out to you? I think it's easy. I think it's the Giants for me. Okay. Um, you have a new head coach. You have a new general manager. 
you yeah. know, on the way. Um, you got a decision to make on on Daniel Jones, who I think still has a shot if you get the right things around him, but you're not really there right now. What do you do with Saquon Barkley? Um, how do you handle the two first-round picks? Do you consider maybe trying to package one of them in a deal to, to go land a guy like Laramie Tunsil, for example, from the Texans? Would you consider – you know, doing something like that, um, maybe not that high a pick, but maybe there'd be a flip-flopping of picks. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I think that I think that what the Giants are going to do this year with Sa- you know, figuring out how to use Saquon, or do you even try to trade him? What are you doing with Daniel Jones? If you get Brian Flores in, do you start trying to sniff around on Deshaun Watson potentially in trade? What's your new general manager going to look like? What's the power structure between head coach and 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 GM and how do they utilize these two picks in the top seven? I think they are, for me, the most fascinating top ten team because there's so much to fit into place that it is it is really it could really go in one of two directions. And I'm really curious to see how they start to place all of these questions I talked about have to be answered. And it's going to be, and it needs to take place within the next four months. Right. You know, how do you answer all those questions in four months? Well, if you're the Giants, you're going to have to try to do it. Yeah. Do you strip it down or do you try to kind of build off of what they have going now? And yeah, there's some, some big decisions they have to make, whoever they end up hiring. All right. I'm going to stay in the Meadowlands for my pick and I'm going to go with the Jets. Uh, Obviously, Last year's draft, taking Zach Wilson number two overall, they're going to be judged based off of last year, based on the quarterback, how he plays out. This past year as a rookie, more bad than good probably, but at the same time, we have to look at the context and look at him missing his left tackle for basically the entire year. We have to look at uh, the 12.7% of his throws, his pass attempts, were, were dropped. And not having the help at receiver or tight end, that I think are going to help him. So with the Jets having two picks in the top 10, four and 10, where do they? Where does Joe Douglas, the general manager, look at this team and say, okay, this is where we need to get better. Is it going to be on the offensive line? Is it going to be at wide receiver? Is there a wide receiver in this draft that he sees worthy of that 10th pick? Uh, or And then you have to look at the defensive side of the ball where they need help at basically every level. So the Jets could go in a lot of different directions here with those two first-round picks. And they have... I think multiple picks in four of the first five rounds, something like that. So they have plenty of draft capital to work with. I think the Jets are a a really intriguing team. And I think we also have to mention just the Eagles uh, with three first-round picks, uh, you know, all of them in the teens. That's just going to be an interesting kind of direction with that franchise to see what they do. Do they look at quarterback? Do they, uh, you know, make some moves, trade around? I don't know what to see about that. But definitely the, the three teams we mentioned all have multiple picks in the first round. And that... That, that usually makes up for some uh, interesting conversations. Yeah. Uh, four picks in New York of the top yeah. ten. Crazy. It's, be, <laughs> it's a different kind of draft. It's going to be a little wild. Four no. picks for New York fans in the drafts in Vegas. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Yeah, no question. So, all right, all right that's going to do it for us today. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Lance and I, we're going to be doing this every week. So every Wednesday, uh, we've got some great guests lined up. We're going to take your questions. We're going to play around with uh, a few ideas. Uh, bottom line, this is going to be NFL Draft Talk all the time. We want to uh, really do it the way you guys want to hear it uh, for, for the next four months. Uh, Robert Mays, Lindsey Jones, they're going to be back tomorrow to get you ready for the divisional round. 
If you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, please do so. I promise you will not be disappointed. My second mock draft is up now. A lot of senior bowl coverage coming. So for Lance Zerline, I'm Dane Brugler. We'll talk to you next week. This was The Athletic Football Show. Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.